Here, money grows in rows. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Happy Friday. I'm Stephanie Hoff along with you this morning. If you made it out to the Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo at the Kalahari Resort yesterday in the Wisconsin Dells, I hope you got the chance to see the Midwest Farm Report team in action and say hello. Farm Director Pam Yonke was broadcasting live from several booths. If you didn't get there physically, you can see pictures and videos from Corn Soy Expo at Fabulous Farm Babe on Facebook. Pam is moderating a Farm Bill panel this morning at the show if you plan to get there yet today. The Grassworks Grazing Conference at the Chula Vista Resort, also in the Dells, is going on today. Charity Seebecker plans to make it over there. And beginning today as well, FFA alumni will be getting together at the KI Convention Center in Green Bay for the Wisconsin FFA Alumni and Supporters State Convention. The weather should be beautiful for a day in February, that's for sure. But is it going to last? It is Groundhog Day, so you can ask Punxsutawney Phil what the forecast is going to look like. But we've got egg meteorologist Stu Muck joining us very soon. We're also going to hear from our state's livestock specialist later in the hour. You're not going to want to step away. One of those things that really came to fruition during COVID-19 was meat processors. From the big four to the smaller operations, many of the states and the USDA realized that there needed to be some changes and I call them improvements to help our consumers grab some of our awesome egg products and get them on that table. And I'm lucky enough to meet up with somebody that has his fingers in the pie, if I might say. Dave Carter, he's part of Flower Hill Institute, a nonprofit, but he's reaching out and talking a lot about meat and poultry processing and the businesses that do that. What do you guys do to help the industry along? So yes, just to give you the background, because you mentioned, Jill, the, the COVID situation. And I always say for years we've been told the, the way to have the most efficient and resilient meat processing system was to allow all of this concentration occur and have these huge processing Well, I happen to be a fan of the Wizard of Oz, and I say COVID came along like little Toto and ripped back the curtain and showed, you know, the weakness of of that system. So the administration of many of the states said, "We, we need to have a more resilient and diverse meat processing system out there. And USDA, last beginning of last year, dedicated about a billion dollars to try and make that come about. But the secretary realized that if all we were going to do is put grants out there, give people grants to build processing plants, that was going to be a disaster. They knew that they really needed to provide technical assistance. Those folks that are trying to build these plants or expand their small facilities need to have help every step along the way. So USDA brought together a really robust network of organizations to provide technical assistance all the way from the American Association of Meat Processors to the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute, which is up in your neck of the woods, to Tuskegee University down in, in the south. But they needed somebody to coordinate it. So they asked myself and a, another guy by the name of Chris Roper uh, to come on and, and do that. We had been working with Flower Hill Institute, which is a nonprofit that's based in New Mexico. And so we have a cooperative agreement or a contract with the Agricultural Marketing Service to 
help pull together this network of organizations to work with folks, not just to find grants and apply for grants, but how do they develop their supply chain? How do they design their facility? How are they going to market their products? Where are they going to get their workforce from? I always tell people meat processing isn't rocket science. It's a little more complicated than that. And so that's what we're trying to help them, you know, navigate through that so we can have um, more of these processors out there and have them be sustainable and successful over the long term. Specifically, what are you doing? You're reaching out to states, you're reaching just in general to whoever wants the help, or how are you coordinating? The, char the charge we got from the secretary was, we're here to work with everybody as long as they're not the big four. It's everybody else. And what we have is it's very simple. People can go on to usda.gov backslash meat and it gives the information and it'll guide you through. You can Google Flower Hill Institute, F-L-O-W-E-R, Hill Institute. And there's a section on there that talks about the technical assistance. And you can go on and just fill out a, a little request. It takes about five minutes to tell us who you are, where you are, what you do, what you want to do. And then we circle back within 24 hours uh, to usually say we need a little more information. Can we get on the phone or a Zoom with you and talk about your project? And my approach has always been the infrastructure, the processing facility is always the last piece of the equation. I want to find out from folks, what do you produce? What species? How many? Is this a cooperative? Is it a sole business? What are your finishing protocols, seasonality? All of those questions that are there. And then the second thing is, what do you, where do you want to go with your product? Are you wanting to stay in your local community, or do a direct-to-consumer, farmer's market? Do you want to go into a regional grocery chain or do into a school lunch? And then that helps us say, okay, here's the infrastructure that you need to have to connect those two pieces and to help them work through that. I have a long experience with folks that get really excited because, you know, a grocery chain wants to come in and buy all of their strips and tenderloins and ribeyes and their ground product, and then they're sitting there with freezers full of chucks and rounds, not to mention the byproducts. And so we are really focused on helping people utilize that whole animal because that is probably the biggest difference between success and failure, you know, between the big guys and the little guys, is if you go on to the USDA market report, right now they estimate that the, the drop, the byproduct value is about $150 per beef carcass. Well, that's the value if you're one of the big four and you're getting paid for it. If you're a small processor, you may be paying $20 or $30 an animal to have it hauled to a landfill. Well, you think about $150 profit versus $20 or $30 cost, and you're processing 3,000 animals a year, that's the difference between staying in business or not. Now, the good thing, Jill, is that there are more, I hate to call them consumers, but customers out there. I have a background in the pet food business, and you take a look at the humanization of pets. You know, people treating their pets, dog chow and old Roy aren't cutting it anymore. I walked into a Petco about three weeks ago and was on the dog food aisle and thought I'd taken a wrong turn and was in Kroger in the frozen meat aisle because there was just all of this fresh, frozen, looking like what you'd feed your kids. Well, the folks we're working with are producing the products that these companies want. Organic, regenerative, grass-fed, bison, tribally produced. But the challenge is how do we connect those producers and processors with those folks that are making those products. And so we're putting a lot of energy into that. Making those connections I never even thought about beyond the consumers and the people and how are you doing that? You know, 
we talk about people knowing where their food come from comes from. Our pet owners wanting to know where their animals' food is coming from also? Absolutely. You're taking a look at the trends in uh, pet. You don't call them pet owners anymore. They're pet parents. We're pet. And I always say, well, this is the millennials and the Gen Z. Well, that was before my wife and I spent a gazillion dollars about four weeks ago to get our dog's ace, torn ACL repaired, you know. So guilty as charged. But um, no, they do. They want to know where those products are coming from and how they were produced. And they want the same quality for Fido and Fluffy that they want for Dick and Jane, you know, there. And so we're just helping to connect that. Two days ago, I was down at Auburn University. They were looking at a bunch of folks that do pet treats and processing and innovative technologies for doing, you know, new things. And so much of it is, where do we find these ingredients? Where do we find this that would be certified organic or this? And so we're just again trying to help connect the dots talked a lot about connecting the dots and i would say that a lot of those dots are right here in the united states do you see that there's going to be some of those pet parents from other countries looking to us and opening up a whole new market oh absolutely no this is a a trend that's going on worldwide um the the trends in europe just mirror in japan you know, just mirror what we we have here. So, and when we take a look at the you know thousands, the thousand people that have contacted us for technical assistance since March of 2022, it is all the way from just a local project that want to do something. Heck, they may want to just do something, and again, doing the pet, they might want to have pet treats up on the on the retail case of their local shop. But we're working with some you know project that's a 900 million dollar project that's being put together by some producers that are frustrated with their current relationship with the big four and they want to put together a commercial sized you know operation that will go into the export market so yeah we, we're, we're having to be pretty nimble right now and you've brought up the big four are they on board with any of this are you strictly the smaller more hometown producers yeah our our charge from the secretary of agriculture is we are to work with everybody but the big four they're going to do okay I'm, I'm not worried about them. So, you know, people say, are you worried about the big four? You know, most of the projects that we're working with aren't in it to compete with the big four. We want to go around them. We want to do something different. Always say, if you're producing certified organic beef, the big four don't want to slow down their chain to put your 50 animals on there and go through all of that. No, those smaller processors are the ones that are more equipped to do work with those organic or grass-fed or regenerative producers. You know, I come from the bison business, and the largest bison processor in the world is classified as a small plant by USDA. So I understand the importance of those small plants in helping to bring these unique products to the marketplace. Well, I want to bring you back to Wisconsin and talk about our Ag Secretary, Randy Romanski, and your work with him. You highlighted a little bit before we turned on the recorder, but how are you guys working with your state secretaries, the ag secretaries? Well, I have to say Randy stands out at the top of the list. I was at a meeting where Randy and Minnesota's Commissioner Tom Peterson were were there 
just when we announced this program, before I'd officially come on board, and I said, hey guys, I'm going to be you know, doing this, Randy reached right back out. And he said, here's what we're doing in Wisconsin. We want to work with USDA. You know, we have these programs that are going to help our processors. How can we bundle that with something that USDA is doing? So um, my hat is off to the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture because we've had ongoing con you know, communication with them, trying to work in partnership. It's all about helping those local producers, those local processors out there. You know, it's not an either or. It's how do we you know, bring two and two together to make more than four. Alternative markets is what I'm going to call it. Meeting the need, really, of society. Great to hear those connections. Helping out those small markets, smaller from producers to the processors. And that was Dave Carter. He's part of the Flower Hill Institute, a nonprofit, but he's working hot and heavy with the meat and poultry processing capacity technical assistance. You know, right from the USDA down to our states, right down to our producers. And we're doing it at no cost to the, to the producers. So we're there to help them out. We're not going to send an invoice. Always great to hear. As a beef producer myself, alternative markets out there. And I'm Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn, talking to you from Trade Talk in Kansas City. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Sometimes it's nice to let the kids have their own space downstairs. It's also pretty awesome to expand that basement into usable living space or entertainment area. Actuate Improvement will transform your basement into a livable area everyone can enjoy. Actuate Improvement is a full-service design and remodeling company specializing in kitchens, baths, and basements. Let's get the conversation started with a complimentary estimate, consultation, and suggestions. ActuateLLC.com Design. Create. Actuate. Goodman's Jewelers has been providing a sparkle to Madison since 1933. That's a lot of great memories. John Hayes for Goodman's Jewelers. We've been caring for generations of customers, and during that time, our strengths have been trust, service, and selection. Those traits are who we are, and that will never change. Goodman's Jewelers, a destination worth reaching. 220 State Street, goodmansjewelers.com. The best is at Goodman's. Huh, nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year... We'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. 
If your conversations always start with the weather, welcome to the Midwest Farm Report. And legend has it, when the groundhog sees his shadow, he gets scared and goes back into hibernation. That means six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't see his shadow, spring is coming early. It's time now for your Compure Financial Egg Weather Update with Stu Muck. Stu, any predictions on what the groundhog will decide today? Well, depending which one you believe in or or listen to, if you're trying to keep it in Wisconsin and looking at Sun Prairie's Jimmy, I'd expect he won't see his shadow this morning. So spring is coming early. It certainly feels like it. Well, it sure feels like it right now. There's no doubt about that. We've been melting snow like crazy, and, and the lawn is sticking out, and the fields are sticking out again. And there's that concern we haven't really frozen that soil much this year. You, you know, all those things we're worried about. At this point, let's just be a little more content. You know, that's going to stay pretty mild. And right on through this weekend, right on into next week as well. I did see an extended forecast map now indicating all of February showing right through Wisconsin, we stand a pretty good chance to stay a little above normal temperature-wise and a small chance to be below normal precipitation-wise. I think we'd much rather see some more precipitation, more moisture, as we try to push on toward that spring that we have the feeling about. Strong high pressure off to the northeast, that's the name of the game for this weekend. It will overall keep us pretty high and dry. Oh, there is a report there were a few flurries along the Manitowoc, Michigan, Lake Michigan shoreline that could spread along the shoreline early this morning. Otherwise, everybody's going to have some clouds and a, just a little bit of a cooler day today. Sunshine returns and those temperatures warm up through the weekend and right into next week. Like we've talked about, I think mid or late part of the next week, a small chance of a little precipitation could try to edge in. We'll watch that one next week. I'll have forecast details right after this. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. If you're interested in a rewarding career with a strong Wisconsin company, Rural Mutual Insurance is looking to add to their growing team of successful employees and agents. Apply online today at RuralMutual.com slash careers. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Stu, I know that you are a proud FFA alum, and I you said you were heading to Green Bay for the Wisconsin FFA and Supporter uh, Alumni State Convention at the KI Convention Center. So smooth and mild weather for uh, driving up there this weekend? Absolutely. Almost anywhere you're going to travel in the state of Wisconsin, it should be just fine weather-wise. And you shouldn't find too many areas where roadways are in too poor a shape anymore by this time. Our Compure Financial Ag weather forecast is calling today for mostly cloudy skies. A little hard to see shadows. And I'd expect temps in the upper 30s, a bit cooler than we've seen. East winds will be around 5 to 10. Mostly cloudy skies continue at least overnight, too, as we hold on in the upper 20s for nighttime lows. Winds become more east and southeast at 5, partly sunny on Saturday. Lower 40s getting a bit nicer again. Southeast winds at 5 to 10, mostly sunny Sunday, mid-40s. Even warmer in western Wisconsin, northeast winds at 5 to 10. And by Monday, Stephanie, you know, mid and upper 40s with sunshine, a beautiful way to start on into a new week. It looks just really comfortable, and I know it's not winter, but I'm kind of liking it. You know, I may I won't be able to go ice skating this weekend, but I can watch other people do it at a hockey game or something. Otherwise, I think it's a good weekend to clean the garage. I'll see if I can get Conway on board. <laughs> 
Oh, if, if he gets that done, he can come here too. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, Stu Muck, our egg meteorologist. That's your Compere Financial egg weather update. Compere Financial is your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. You can visit Compere.com. You know, I also had a few people tell me that maple tree tapping has started up in some pockets of Wisconsin. I'm curious if that's happening near you. Send me a text on where that's happening. That's 877 301 3276 is our talk text line again 877-301-FARM This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke Leadership Institute is a year long premier crash course in personal development, agricultural advocacy and Wisconsin Farm Bureau that builds up strong Farm Bureau members. I'm proud to be a Wisconsin Farm Bureau member because they invested time and resources in me and my development and I cannot wait to give a return on that investment. WFBF.com A voice for farmers A vision for agriculture Wisconsin Farm Bureau You know, Will, a lot of people say we sound alike. I'd have to agree with them, Dad. Well, the two of you may sound alike, but you sure don't look alike. And your roof doesn't have to look like everyone else's. Allow Sweetle Metal Roofing to transform yours. See what one will look like on your home. I'm Mike. Will. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweetle Metal Roof. S-W-I-T-A, metalroofing.com. Sweetle Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. Have you ever had an MRI through the hospital where you're crunched inside a scary tube-like tunnel? MH Imaging in Middleton provides the spacious comfort of a completely open design MRI, the most updated concept in MRIs. It's an open MRI, open for everyone, regardless of insurance or doctor affiliation, for a fraction of the cost of a medical system. And the results are available the same day, providing you with answers you need to know now. Visit MHImaging.com. There goes Pam Yonke across Wisconsin in her suburban truck. Thanks to the dairy farmers of Wisconsin, promoting Wisconsin's world-class dairy products since 1983. Look for their proudly Wisconsin badge on dairy products. And to Cleary Building Corp. They protect what you value. Visit clearybuilding.com to see the Cleary difference. Keep up with Pam at MidwestFarmReport.com and on Facebook and Twitter. Trusting someone else enough to pack up your stuff for the big move usually doesn't happen. Our employees are like family and have been with us for a very long time. You can feel comfortable with them packing things up and moving them. This is Brenda from Mad City Moving. We call that the the all-in-the-family move. Mad City Moving dominates any move. Their crew will handle your things well and like your things deserve to be handled. Online at madcitymoving.com. Mad City Moving. You haven't seen moves like they say yes to seven straight days. A traveling dress rehearsal for you to get comfortable in the seat and feel the power behind the smartest purchase you've ever made. The seven day, no questions asked return policy, if you need it, at Bergstrom Automotive. Join the Bergstrom Automotive family for the yes. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, 
but we bonded over music just like other families do over sports, camping, or other interests. And we talked. Little everyday conversations from silly to serious that built a foundation over time. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. And I was so grateful that you and mom had become these sober, stable people who were always there for me. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs, whether it's music or anything else. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This looks like a car. Has tires, headlights, a hood, windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors. Open like them too. There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% .9 of the time, this would be a car, but it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Speaking of Super Bowls, obviously ours uh, this year's set, but next year's Super Bowl, odds are out. Where are some of the teams falling here? Especially yeah, so uh, like, like the Packers. The, these came out last night, and it's for the 2025 Super Bowl. The favorite, San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. The team that they'll be playing, the Kansas City Chiefs, they come in third. Team between them, Baltimore Ravens. Really? Now, when you uh, look down, here is your top 10. Niners, Ravens, Chiefs, Bills. I don't like that one. I think the Bills are falling apart. I think this was their last year. Cowboys. The boys. Bengals. Obviously, they're anticipating uh, healthy Joe Burrow with the yep. end of the likes of T Higgins and Jamar chase together. Cause they're coming to the ends of their contracts, Detroit lions, Philadelphia Eagles, Miami dolphins. And then you have these two teams tied the Packers and the Texans 25 to one. So the Packers have 25 to one odds of getting to the Super Bowl next year. If I remember correctly, after they had traded Aaron Rodgers, I want to say the Green Bay Packers odds to win the Super Bowl last year was 45 to one. And now they're 25. And now to they're one. 25 to one. And if you look at the NFC, they're only behind San Francisco, Dallas, Detroit and Philadelphia. Okay. Which Philadelphia feels like this is kind of a make or break year for Nick Sirianni. I think they're team, kind of like right? faltering. They're like falling apart. Like a he's bit. firing the DC. He's firing the OC. They're bringing in two new guys. Just like they almost, they had to bring in a new OC and a new DC last year. Cause remember uh, the OC got hired by the Colts Steichen yep. to be their head coach. The DC and Gannon was hired by the Arizona Cardinals to be their head coach. And now the Eagles have Kellen Moore. Yep. As their OC and Vic Fangio as their DC. So they had to they had to completely swap out OC and DC. And it feel doesn't it feel like though Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts are teetering? Yes. 
Well, that's everyone, why they, everyone loved Jalen Hurts last year, and now look at it. I think you saw the same meme. It was uh, Sirianni talking to their uh, their fired OC in DC, saying like, "It's the Bane from um, was it Dark Knight uh, Rises?" Where yep. it's like, and it's Bane saying they expect one of us in the wreckage, brother. And it's it ain't gonna be Sirianni. <laughs> He's like, I, I gotta go get some other guys here. So I almost would feel like if I had to t- to take a you know. Uh, a flyer on a Super Bowl winner next year. I would like the Packers over the Eagles. Hell yeah! That the Eagles feel like, like I said, it's uh, it's kind of the tipping point for them. What are they going to be this year? Where the Packers are still on that upswing. Uh, you look at the other teams in the NFC ahead of them. The Lions, who we had just talked about. Do I think their window's over? No, but clearly we saw the Packers go into their place on Thanksgiving and beat them especially after taking the absolute drubbing that was in Lambeau in, at the end of September, it feels like Green Bay is on their heels. Then there's the Cowboys. Mike McCarthy's you, back, baby. Do you believe in the Cowboys and Dak in the playoffs? Do you believe in Big Mike and Dak in the playoffs? I believe in them in the regular season, but come playoffs? No. And then it's just the 49ers. And obviously the 49ers are going to keep this window open as long as Brock Purdy is uh, still on his rookie deal. Yep. And, Yep. What Brock Purdy is going to be a third year quarterback next year. So you would think that they probably could keep this team pretty well together for two more seasons. Yeah. So there you go. Super Bowl odds out. I get the 49ers, right? But your second team in Baltimore, the playoff issues from Lamar. I don't know about that number. Chiefs make sense. It's Mahomes. I mean, I'm never going to write that guy off. Bills. They're starting to fall apart. That team's got a lot of contracts coming due and a lot of old players. Dallas in the playoffs with Big Mike and Dak. I get the Burrow if he comes back healthy. Lions feels like the Eagles are on a teetering point. Miami, they seem kind of soft, don't they? Yep. Especially in cold weather. And here's the thing: Houston has the same odds as the Packers. But remember, Houston gave up a lot of draft capital to go get Stroud, and don't forget they traded up to get uh, Will Anderson Jr. Yep. So they don't have near the same draft capital as the Packers. And then here's this. The Rams, I think they're getting old. The Chargers, I think that's a lot of Jim Harbaugh hype. And you know who else is 30 to 1? The Jets. How about that? Last year when the Jets traded for Aaron Rodgers, I think they were 15 to 1 to win it all. And the Packers were 45 to 1 to win it all. And now one year removed, Aaron Rodgers' Achilles. Packers and Jordan Love playing well down the stretch. Packers are 25 to 1. Jets are 30 to 1. Wow, look at that. Here's a crew perfectly comfortable using Baylor twine as a belt. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back on a Friday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff along with you, filling in for Farm Director Pam Yonke. She'll be moderating a Farm Bill panel this morning at Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo. I think you'll want to check that out. We're also excited to learn if the groundhog will see his shadow today or not. If you're looking for a history of Groundhog Day, I pieced something together this morning thanks to Google and the Old Farmer's Almanac. I see that the first Groundhog Day was celebrated on February 2nd back in 1887 in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. That must be why the groundhog's name is Punxsutawney. The tradition has its roots in an early Christian tradition of Candlesmas also happening today. This is a holiday where the clergy would give out candles required for the winter season. Will we need those candles or not? We'll find out today. 
A better way to forecast weather, according to the Old Farmer's Almanac, is by looking at the clouds. Now, you've probably seen these thin white clouds that resemble veils that tend to cover the whole sky. These are pretty common in the winter months, and they predict rain or snow will arrive within 24 hours. I didn't see any of those today, and as we heard from Stu, that's probably right because we're looking mild and sunny for the weekend. So while the weather isn't making headlines this week, that cattle report certainly is. We talked about it this week on the show. Remember that according to USDA, the last time cattle inventory was this low was in 1951. And we're talking to some of the experts about what that means for your farm and also for prices at the grocery store. Jeff Swenson is the state's livestock and meat specialist with the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. He publishes the weekly livestock report for Wisconsin every Friday. We'll get that posted at MidwestFarmReport.com once it comes out. Jeff Swenson previews that report with Charity Seebecker with his thoughts on the latest USDA cattle report and its ripple effect. So we already were in a situation with historically low uh, beef cow numbers, and this report came out and said all cattle and calves, that would be both dairy and beef and all classes of livestock, or all classes of cattle, was down 2%. The number of uh, beef cows took the biggest hit, 28.2 million, that was 2% lower than January of last year. Dairy cows, 9.36 million dairy cows in the nation, that was only down slightly, so we're not shrinking the dairy herd the way we are the beef herd. And what long-term effects is this going to have? It really impacts consumers, if we start at that end, uh, because we have the potential for higher beef prices, even higher than they are now because of the tight supply. And interestingly, we are seeing the difference between select cuts and choice cuts shrinking. Uh, The choice select spread that we talk about is shrinking because consumers are already looking for more economically priced beef. So it's easy to say, well, beef is tight. We're going to have record high cattle prices. That might not be the case. So we need to think about risk management. The other thing that I will say is that uh, as we start to rebuild the cattle herd, it'll take time. Uh, it'll take at least two years from the time that a, a heifer is, is chosen for replacement before she has a calf. And when we start holding heifers back for replacement, that's fewer heifers entering feedlots. So beef supply will get even tighter at that point in time. Jeff Swenson talking with Charity Seebecker. Jeff is the state's livestock and meat specialist with the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. We've got another expert on air for you today, Brenda Botel. She's an extension agricultural marketing specialist and chair of the Department of Agricultural Economics at UW-River Falls. She says beef was a bright spot for Wisconsin cattlemen last year, and she expects strong prices to continue for beef in 2024 as long as consumers continue to support higher beef prices. Yes, we should see continued increases of those finished cattle prices. You know, um, and with lower feed prices in that, um, that that's very helpful. Obviously, um, the high prices for feeder cattle, if you're having to purchase those calves or so, those are still high, but they're not going to see those significant increases as what we've seen in the past um, for that. So there should be some profitability still for if you're finishing if you're finishing animals, and there should be profitability still if you have calves. So it it, it looks like 24 looks like a good year for beef producers.
On the consumer side of things, though, then that means they will be paying a higher price for beef. And I know that consumption has a lot to do with the profitability side of the farm. Well, because we have such a slower, uh, lower supply of beef right now, um, there's just not as much beef available for the U.S. consumer, which means that we've had some record high beef prices. So in 20, the end of 2023, we had record high beef prices there. And, you know, that that supply or that production, basically, of beef in 24 is going to continue to go down. We'll see it continue to go down in 25. So that means, you know, we're going to continue to see increases in beef prices um, at the retail level, at the wholesale level. Uh, They shouldn't be to the extent that that increase should not be to the extent that we saw previously. However, they're still going to continue to go up. Is there ever a time where the consumer says, I'm not paying for this anymore? Actually, that was one thing that was surprising um, in 2023 is that we continued to buy beef um, and we continued to support those beef prices um, at a national level. Uh, Consumers were still wanting to purchase that beef and they did so. The biggest concern we have for 2024 is if we start to see recession or we start to see even further declines basically in consumer savings because that basically means that they're they're trying to find alternative ways to make savings then that's the bigger concern for beef because it's the highest priced protein out there and so it tends to see the first impacts when we look at it from a consumer side because they can substitute to the lower priced proteins if they need to if beef producers are seeing profitability Are we happy with the way things are going? Are we looking for any trends to change? Well, the the beef, it it tends to go in a cycle. You know, from 10 to 14 years, we see the ups and downs of this. We just happen to be um, where we are in a declining production for beef side of that side of the cycle. The thing is, do we want it to continue to go down and go down and go down? That's not a good thing either for the health of, of the beef producers, because even though, yes, you look at this from this side, if we export a lot of beef and those exports are down because we don't have as much supply. And if you lose those markets, they're harder to come back. So right now, you know, the exports, the decline in exports is basically based off of the fact that we don't have that production. There's still demand by those other countries for U.S. beef because our beef is different than other countries. But if it goes for a very long period of time, then that can affect the market and then it's harder to get those markets back. Brenda, where does beef on dairy fit into this equation? I know the beef on dairy market is growing in Wisconsin. It is growing in Wisconsin. Um, it, and beef on dairy, you know, when we look at it, it's it's that's the one thing that's U.S., I mean, Wisconsin-wise. When we look at the U.S., beef cows, native beef cows, you know, we're down on those. U.S., um, in Wisconsin, native beef cows were up um, there. And then when we look at beef on dairy, you know, that's a, a that is something for Wisconsin that is really helpful for them, right? Um, we can get that. Now, where that goes into it, it has a lot more to do with how are we integrating because we need to have that um, when you're buying that beef on dairy calf, you need to have confidence that it's going to present much more like a beef animal. And so you need to see this integration. And we've developed a lot more of that within Wisconsin. Brenda Botel, along with us, chair of the Department of Ag Economics at UW-River Falls. She's also an extension agricultural marketing specialist. At the Midwest Farm Report, we bring the heart of agriculture into your homes every day. From our e-newsletter to agribusiness news, we've got you covered at themidwestfarmreport.com. I'm Charity Seebecker, and thanks for listening.
In addition to having fun, learning, and networking, business also gets done at the Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo. At the Wisconsin Soybean Association's annual meeting during the show, the vote was unanimous to re-elect Sarah Stelter as the association president. Sarah farms in Watoma. She grows soybeans, corn, beef, and processed vegetables for canning companies. The Wisconsin Soybean Association is celebrating 50 years of advocacy. Friday from Chicago, cash corn is trading down three quarters of a cent at 4.46 and a half. December new crop corn is down a penny and three quarters at 4.77 and a quarter. Cash beans are up half a cent at 12.03 and three quarters. November new crop beans are down two and a half cents at 11.83 a bushel. And July new crop wheat is trading up two and a half cents at 6.16 and a quarter. Another story you'll find today at MidwestFarmReport.com. 15 Wisconsin dairy companies are getting a dairy processor grant from the state. The purpose of the money is to help foster innovation and improve profitability for Wisconsin's dairy processors. The recipients run the gamut from ice cream, cheese, and butter processors. A half a million dollars goes to these awards. Each business gets a maximum of $75,000. You can see a list of the award recipients at MidwestFarmReport.com. Again, 15 got the grants, but the state got 36 requests from businesses. From Chicago, the February Class 3 milk contract is trading up $0.04 cents at $16.36 a hundredweight. The March contract is up $0.08 cents at $17.60. If we look ahead to April, that contract is up $0.07 cents at $17.83 a hundredweight. On the close yesterday, barrel cheese was up two cents at a dollar fifty-four. The forty-pound block cheese up a penny and three quarters at a dollar sixty-six and three quarters. And double A butter closed down two cents at two seventy-four and a half. Don't turn that dial. We will round out the week with a trip to Northeast Wisconsin to visit with a Centennial family farm. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Have you been wanting to try non-surgical body sculpting but unsure where to start? We can help. A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. MSculpt Neo is a game changer in the world of body contouring. With its dual technology of heat and magnetic energy, Neo can reduce fat by 30% and increase muscle mass by 25%. With Neo, you can enjoy simple, comfortable sessions and no downtime. You'll even feel stronger in just a few sessions. One patient recently said, I can tell in my crunches and golf swing. I wish I had known about this sooner. This was after only two treatments. MSculpt Neo is perfect for those looking to kickstart their fitness journey, enhance their athletic performance, or simply feel more confident in their own skin. Let your natural beauty shine through. To learn more, visit rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. Tom from Tom's Auto Center. You know the colors of a stoplight. Red meaning alert, yellow meaning caution, green meaning it's safe to move forward. We use a similar system in our repair report, which you receive after every service. Red meaning it needs urgent attention, yellow meaning we have concerns, green meaning your vehicle is all good. Tom's Auto Center, to the getter, fixed, Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. Over four decades of turning customers into loyal friends, and the reason is simple. 
Here at Denny's Jewelers, we make jewelry shopping easy, relaxing, and because we have something for everyone. Hand-selected diamonds and gemstones. Custom design, appraisals, fashion jewelry, watches, repair, and even jewelry restoration. Stop by and allow us to turn you into our next true friend. Being with you makes us happy as pigs in mud. This is the Midwest Farm Report. We're continuing our celebration of Century and Sesquicentennial Farms and Homes across the state of Wisconsin in 2023, brought to you courtesy of Compure Financial. Today we're heading towards northeast Wisconsin, just outside of Green Bay, to visit with Carol O'Rourke Sheevers. She is uh, the gal that remembers it all from when she was a little girl. Her grandparents made their way from the Netherlands to the Wisconsin area. Carol, thanks for taking the time to join us. Tell me a little bit about how your farm got started. I never knew my grandparents. They were both deceased before I was born, basically. But they arrived here in 1914, and they came from Holland. My great-uncle was a Norbertine priest, and he had come ahead of them. And, of course, the Norbertine Abbey is in De Pere. And my understanding is that he had something to do with the place they chose to live uh, because of the proximity to the Norbertines. My father always had a close relationship with the Norbertines because his uncle uh, took over that fathering role for him once my grandfather died. My grandfather died in 1921, so Dad was just a little short of 11 years old when he died. Mm. And so he never spoke much about his, his father because I don't think he had a lot of memories of him. Right, right. Um, I know that part of the land, they had to clear part of the land, and uh, and they started out as dairy farmers. And we have records that show Dad, uh, Dad uh, Grandpa bought cattle in 1913, 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1915, 1916, about that time. Mm-hmm. So shortly after, after they got here, he started milking cows. Sure. Um, as I said, he got sick, and he died in 1921. So um, my grandmother kept the land. She remarried shortly after. Uh, within a year or so, she remarried. She married a, a uh, widower with a couple of kids, and they lived here for a while. But they then moved to town, and Grandpa, uh, or my grandmother uh, rented out the land, as far as we know. Uh-huh. But they held on to it. Okay. Yeah, so the dairy ceased to operate at that time, I assume? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was born in 1952, so there weren't a lot of relatives who talked a lot about what had happened in those intervening years. Sure. I spoke to my older brother yesterday, and he, he didn't have any memory of it. Yeah. So he didn't know what really went on for those years. I, I suspect one of my dad's stepbrothers might have been here Mm -hmm. they might have stayed when my grandmother moved to town so the bottom line is you still have it and that's the that's the real feat after all of those challenges isn't it exactly it is in 1942 my grandmother offered the farm she had three children and she said if somebody wanted it they had to buy the other two out and so my dad and mom were married by that time they were expecting their first child and so they opted to come back here and dad went full bore into a dairy Sure. At that time, Tell 1942. Me, how many were they milking in 1942? Tell me a little bit about what the farm looked like. Well, I know they didn't have electricity, and they did not have plumbing in the house. I suspect my mother moved quickly on that because <laughs> she was a city girl. <laughs> um, and again, 
my brothers don't have a lot of memory of that. They were very young children. By the time my sister was born in 48, they had electricity and they had plumbing. My, I, and like you said, so, mom would get on that if she was accustomed to that from town. So. Yes, absolutely. So um, um, She had... She had to adapt. Yes, as many have. So then uh, they were dairying. How long? Tell me a little bit more about how that all progressed, Carol. Okay, that that was the farm that I knew, a dairy farm. When I was a young child, my dad was marrying about uh, milking about probably 25, 30 head. Mm-hmm. It eventually got to be a little bit more, um, maybe in the late in the early seventies, up to forty mm-hmm. head. My dad also always had extra crops. You know, he cropped, my memory of him is that he also, he raised crops that weren't necessarily for the cattle, like uh, buckwheat, oh. and and he also raised um, oh, sweet corn and had contracts with canning companies to, to supplement the income nice. from the dairy. Nice. Um, I was number seven of eight children, so he had a lot of mouths to feed. Wow. <laughs> and so that's how they generated extra income. They had the milk that... And they had the contracts with canning companies and things like that sure. that they grew. Sure. And I can still remember him raising um, sweet corn for canning companies in Green Bay and also peas. Now let's talk about the next generation, uh, Carol, because you mentioned that you have very, very consciously trying to ma- be making plans to keep the land in the family at least to a certain extent. Tell me about the plans. My niece, Patty, who is my brother's daughter, uh, also grew up on this farm, and she lives next door. And as I said, they're going to get. She and her fiance are going to be married in about a month or so. Um, she uh, she had a lot of great plans. And well, let me step back a little bit. My sister in law, after my brother's death, um, rented the land out. And then when she Patty and her mother made some arrangements for the future, Patty decided that the best course was to put the land into a conservation program, uh, a restoration program. And so um, it was last planted in traditional crops about, I think we're into the fourth year now. And she and her partner um, planted wild wild flowers and prairie and um, a couple of thousand trees on the property. Mm-hmm. And they, they did some scrapes so that wildlife... Um, will be attracted. We have geese geese um, on the pond outside our window here, um, all because she she made the decision to, to put it into a conservation program instead of trying to make a living uh, off the farm. Again, Carol O'Rourke Shevers along with us. Uh, their farm has been in that family for more than 100 years. She's just outside of Green Bay, about seven miles in the community of Oneida. Again, these stories all made possible courtesy of our friends from Compure Financial. I'm Pam Yonke. And don't forget that you can find more Century and Sesquicentennial farm stories at MidwestFarmReport.com. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Friday morning. Happy Groundhog Day. I'm Stephanie Hoff.